Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.Worlds, together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Borzicchiello, we'll talk about dark kitchens. Some people call them ghost kitchens, or shadow kitchens, or virtual kitchens, or delivery kitchens. The list is a long one. And we'll try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector with our special guest, Eki Newton, co-founder with her sister Ginny of Karma Cans based in London. But before we get on to that, John, hello. Hello again. It's nice to see you. And you. So how's your week been? Do you know what? Fantastic. Um, I've been on the trains this week, a couple of days, and they are running absolutely perfectly. And that's what we all want. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good trip down today. Good. So you've come down from the Midlands? Yep, come yeah. down from Leicestershire, um, down to London, see some customers, meet Eki, do this fantastic podcast. Really looking forward to yes, it. So I'm looking forward to it too, very much. Um, and I got a seat on the tube this morning. Mind you, since uh, COVID, the tubes have been much easier to uh, travel on. Definitely, and definitely. So I'm, I made it here quite quite happily. It's, uh, it's interesting because it's half term this week, so a lot of the children are off. Um, I've got to wait till next week when I've got a couple of days holiday and the children are off. So Monday, Tuesday next week, we're uh, going to do some adventures. Then um, back end of the week, I'm going over to Belgium on the Eurostar to our uh, new factory in Popering. That sounds fun. Something different. Again, yeah. I've been on the uh, Eurostar on the car, but not in the train. So uh, everything's a learning experience at the moment with trains. Great. Well, that's, that's certainly something to look forward to. Um, so I, th- I think it's probably uh, time to get the show on the road. Um, What I'm going to do is to set the scene with some additional thoughts that we can all discuss and perhaps uh, we can pull apart. My views are that it it seems to me that a traditional restaurant consists of two physical parts. There's the front of house operation where you look after guests, make them feel comfortable. It's the place to be hospitable. Then there's the back of house operation, the kitchen, which is a much more sleeves rolled up workmanlike space. And it turns out that having these two separate things going on is an expensive way to run a business. And as a result, restaurants typically make a profit in the low single digits. That's been how restaurants have worked for decades, even hundreds of years. And and it's into this dual, lowish profit structure that delivery as we know it today is being inserted. Now, from the delivery company's perspective, of course, it's necessary to charge the restaurant a substantial commission. And this commission is a challenge for your typical restaurant. Basically, how can it find the commission from its existing low profit model? There is, of course, more than one way to do that. But one way, and it's the way that we'll be wanting to focus on today, no doubt, is to do the delivery from a dark kitchen. This removes the front of house operation, of course, and replaces it with the ultimate consumer's own dining area, whether it's in the kitchen or at a dining table or in front of the telly. In simple terms, this removes a big chunk of a restaurant's fixed costs and allows room in the financial accounts for the delivery company's commission. So that's it then. Problem solved. Well, not so fast. First off, we need to define what we mean by dark kitchen. It seems to me that they come in two styles. One, in simple terms, is a typical restaurant with its own customer-facing presence. But this restaurant may also prepare meals in its kitchen. 
under a different brand for delivery. The other sort of dark kitchen is a standalone operation, often in a location that the customer doesn't see, where there may typically be many separate kitchens, all cooking food under a variety of different brands. Now, some questions arise in this latter sort of dark kitchen. How does operating out of such a kitchen change relationships between customers and the restaurant? And as an aside, is it in fact a restaurant any longer? And how does it change the relationships between the people who work in the kitchen and the restaurant as an employer? The first point to answer is to say that the restaurant no longer has the opportunity to be hospitable because there's no front of house. This isn't totally true if the dark kitchen is used as the basis for supplying food at a function, where the kitchen is placed at a distance, often of miles, from where the hospitality is being delivered. Uh, I'm thinking of catering at a wedding event, for example, or at a business function, where the dark kitchen may be described as a central processing unit. But the current model of restaurant delivery definitely changes the relationship between customer and restaurant. This is because the model removes the concept of hospitality and replaces it. But with what? At one level, it replaces hospitable personal hospitality with a very functional level of service, a man, sometimes a woman, on a bike with a brown paper bag. But at another arguably more sophisticated level, it turns the traditional restaurant offer into one more akin to the retail model. You buy the food from an unknown manufacturer and dish it up yourself at home. But that's probably too extreme a view because there is an intermediate position. It's based on the quick service model where even in a physical bricks and mortar location, the quantity, if I can call it that, the quantity of hospitality is measurably below the quantity offered in a traditional restaurant. That move in the direction of quick service has implications, for example, in pricing, because average quick service prices are below those in a traditional restaurant. It also has implications for brand perceptions, because the brand values of a traditional restaurant, which is, or should be anyway, based on hospitality, will struggle to be maintained against the reality of a man or woman on a bike delivering food in plastic containers all in a brown paper bag. Bringing all this together, I'd say that using a dark kitchen as a base for delivering restaurant meals is a solution to the high commission charges made by aggregators, but it also gives rise to challenges. John, any thoughts? Peter, lots of thoughts there. Um, I want to just follow up on the brown bag piece to start with. Um, and I've spoken to lots of operators over the years um, around delivery, around doing it from their own kitchens, around doing it from dark kitchens. And the biggest problem they find is the brand perception. So when they're having a delivery made from a dark kitchen, from their own kitchen, there is often um, a different way it will end up on someone's plate. And the reason I say that is when you're in a restaurant, it's coming straight out of that kitchen, normally within one, two, maybe three minutes of being cooked. If it's coming for a delivery... It's normally around 20 minutes. Well, of course, something doesn't keep for 20 minutes, and that's where they see the problems. The brown paper bag, that, that's the interesting one, though, that things are put into this bag, and then they're put on someone's back, and then normally on a bike, 
moped. Going over every speed bump there is, round the corners still at uh, 40 miles an hour. And that then doesn't look like it would again out of a restaurant. Having said that, there's a there's a time for delivery, isn't there? When people are busy nowadays in their offices or at home at lunchtime, people want to get together and they have an hour, but actually they can sit in their office and have good quality food together that's come from a restaurant. What about date night? Someone's just had a baby, a couple. They live in just the outskirts of London and they want to go to their favourite restaurant. They want to get that food. They haven't got a babysitter. Who does that? So there's opportunities for this delivery. And from talking to the operators, this is going from strength to strength. People want it and they need it in their lives. So it's really important. Um, one, I read an article a couple of weeks ago about Wagamama, actually, and they were talking about actually closing dark kitchens, concentrating back on restaurants. So that's something else that I think we need to pick up on this one is why would an operator do that? Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and it goes back to my point about perceptions. Um, so that is certainly one thing that gets changed. Uh, and how an operator actually creates a presence that is realistic from the ultimate consumer's point of view uh, is something to work on. Uh, yes. I think a number, quite a lot of brands understand that very well uh, and work on it. I guess the less sophisticated, the smaller business has more of a challenge uh, in coping with those things. Definitely. It's... Um the biggest question I get asked, Peter, all the time, and we've spoke about this before, is working for Avico. The operators often ask me, the biggest complaint they get is around fries. Why are fries cold? Why are they soggy? Why don't they work? And, and that's because of the way they're handled. Out of a restaurant, they're hot, they're crispy. They're not when it goes to delivery because they've been sat there for 20 minutes. Um, and I'd be really keen to when, speak to Eki when we uh, bring her into the conversation around the complaints and how that's handled because... Again, that's a big part of it. People always want to, or consumers always want to talk to somebody if there is a problem. Right, so we've, we've talked about what we believe to be important. Um, yes. You've already mentioned our guest, so I think it's probably time to, to bring her into the conversation. Perfect. So, Eki, you've been um, overhearing what we've been saying, <laughs> uh, and I'd like to welcome you to the Delivery Profits. Eki is the inspirational CEO of Karma Kitchens, and co-founder, together with her sister Ginny, uh, of Karma Cans here in London. So, um, welcome, uh, Eki. Thank you any, very much. <laughs> you're very welcome. Do you have any views, comments uh, on what we've been saying so far? So, I think it is interesting. I, I wonder if you guys do eat a lot of delivery, do you order a lot of delivery yourselves? I personally don't, Eki, as I live in the middle of nowhere. So a little village that um, I still have the option of maybe getting it from the uh, local Indian restaurant or Mm. Chinese. So when I'm in London and I uh, stop over for work, I often do because then I like to try different things. And that's the thing that I love, that you can try lots of different things. Absolutely. So I think, firstly, the way that that Karma Kitchen works is we don't just supply... um, space for delivery only brands we also kind of as you touched on peter we we build we take warehouses and split them into kitchen units and some of those units go to people who are doing delivery last mile delivery on delivery and uber eats and some of our businesses use our kitchens for our central production units for catering and manufacturing of food so it's a real range of businesses and we kind of see all of the different ways that you can operate a kitchen space in one 
um, under one roof. And you see the businesses which um, can drive much higher margins or are much more efficient by using dark kitchens and the ones which, um, which are fighting it out in the delivery space. I think that one thing that really pushes quality forward and we talk you guys mentioned quality quite a bit and um and how quality can be affected by um by transportation but there is so much competition in the delivery market it's a super hot market and restaurants are really trying to figure out the best ways to find those positive touch points with the people eating their their food and um and really figure out what products work for delivery what what's going to what packaging works and what items are going to still create that brand loyalty um back to um back to that home brand and i think that some businesses are doing a really good job of that at the moment and have been doing that successfully even predating things like delivery and uber eats delivery isn't a new concept kind of as you mentioned you can you've always been able to get takeaway food on your local this is nothing different to that in fact it's a lot more sophisticated it's a lot more developed and the quality of the product is frankly you know 10 times as good as it was probably in the 90s or the 80s and i think that you know this is a part of our economy it's a part of our um it's a part of the way that people consume food today, just like supermarkets became a part of um, our economy maybe a hundred years ago. And we should recognize that. And dark kitchens are a supporting piece of that. The way that we build dark kitchens, we we just build the kitchens and rent them to businesses no matter what you do. Um, we play a supporting role in the wider picture of delivery and other types of food production. But it's definitely becoming a massive part of the way that people consume food today and the way that people think about the brand that they're that for example wagamamas Byron are <laughs> one that do it really well as well for delivery i was uh, had a meeting with them late last year um and they, they were saying they're up to nearly 40 percent is now delivery <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yes absolutely so people like byron and, and also uh, i noticed that you're drinking a grind coffee these guys coffee, do delivery. Yeah. yeah, these guys do delivery too. Um, and they deliver their pods. And I think what's so interesting is how um, how people, you, you'll have these multiple touch points for brands now. And delivery is another touch point. Not, it doesn't detract from, it doesn't take away from the in-person experience. In fact, it adds to it. Like you were saying, um, you go to the restaurant, you recognize that restaurant, you've been there in person. Then you go home and you want to eat the same food and you can order that online. That's actually adding to the different touch points that that restaurant has within your life. Um, And I think that that's an incredibly powerful tool that restaurants can use to develop their brand outside of where they actually have opened. If you think about how expensive it is to open a restaurant, phenomenally expensive, probably costs in London maybe a million pounds couple million pounds in a prime location that's a very expensive thing to do to open a dark kitchen really just costs a few thousand pounds so you can connect up with people who visited your restaurant they want to eat your food again maybe they're engaging with a different suite of products so perhaps for grind they're they're delivering you capsules for example instead of um hot coffee um but you're still ordering that online and it's coming to your house you look at the pot it's got a sticker on it it says grind it's building up brand loyalty across a wider um, geographical area and a wider customer base who are engaging with your products at different price points as well. You've been talking about brands that have got uh, multiple 
or presence in multiple points, uh, and what you say makes perfect sense. But if you're a small business aspiring and you really don't have uh, multiple touch points, you might have a small shop somewhere, uh, you might not. How do they compete in the whole area of dark kitchens and delivery with the larger brands? I think that's such a good question because if you, are, if you operate on a high street and you're a small producer and you open your restaurant, if you think about the kind of things that pull people in, you know, your brand, your fit out, um, your front of house service, how much you pay your team, it's actually very, very hard to compete on that local high street with bigger brands who've got much, much greater budgets to really invest in, you know, the hand wash basins and the tables and chairs. What's so amazing about delivery is you see these very small challenger brands popping up and just charging towards like unprecedented growth in a very hyper-local area. You can really win in a way that you maybe can't on the high street. You can win in your area and you can then replicate that growth by opening a second or a third kitchen and continue with the same principles. And it's extremely affordable to do. You can do that on much less on a much lower budget than than you could. And we've seen a brand that started in our Wood Green site um, in North London. They're called Mad and they do vegan fast food. They started, they were in our shared kitchen. So affordable, we run 5% of our space as affordable workspace. And um, they kind of kicked off. They really came out of nowhere and suddenly they were doing more trade than than Byron. You know, wow. that was only a few weeks in and they, they just continued to grow and grow and grow. And they just cracked on. It's like the idea by itself, the brand, um, the packaging and the brand and the idea of what you're producing counts just as much. Um, in fact, it counts more than perhaps if you have a bricks and mortar restaurant where not only do you have to have the idea and you also have to have. Um, the food, the concept um, kind of settled, but you also need to make the restaurant look good. You need to hire all the team. You know, Mad was able to do that with just two members of staff and, um, and a, you know, paying just a thousand pounds a month um, in rent. So. It, it seems that the, the fundamentals uh, apply. Yeah. Know exactly what you're doing, be as clear as you possibly can and deliver it and deliver it well. Yeah. I'm using deliver in the, in the no, wide yeah, sense. Exactly. It, it, it's how businesses have thrived over the years. So I think what you're saying is there is nothing new. You've just got a different environment to make it work. Yeah, exactly. It's just a complete... It, and, and it's a complementary environment as well. I don't think that anybody would say, look, you know, a lot of business owners who've come up over the last few years, maybe in the pandemic... They're not saying we're never going to do a restaurant. In fact, a lot of them have the dream of doing a, a, a opening a bricks and mortar restaurant as well. But they've started in the delivery space. They're doing really well there. They expand to maybe 10, 12 locations all across the city using dark kitchens because you can do that in just a matter of weeks. In a dark kitchen, you can open within a couple of weeks instead of taking a year to build your own site. So you, you basically can open these additional hubs and crack these local markets and as your brand grows and as your people recognize your brand more and your products more it gives you a really good jumping off point to then open your first bricks and mortar site and we've seen that happen quite a few times so so here's it strikes me here's a challenge for the the dark kitchen um uh, environment um as we've established john lives out in the country how can how can dark kitchens uh, be 
uh, evolve so that they can serve him as well as me, because I live in, in central London and I have a huge choice? <laughs> That's a great question. So we, as I mentioned, Karma Kitchen doesn't just serve um, last mile delivery um, brands, so people who are making burgers and chips. We actually provide kitchen space for a whole range of meal kit companies, um, caterers and food manufacturers, and those products are certainly available nationwide. Um, you know, you can order... Uh, a meal kit produced in our kitchen really all over the country um, and it's posted to you. So dark kitchens cover more ground than just um, just fast food or delivery. It's really quite a diverse spectrum of different businesses that operate within dark kitchens and they have very diverse needs and space needs as well. That's something that's become apparent to me. Uh, it's only sort of recently that I've realised what this whole space actually encompasses and the amount of food production that goes on in, in a city like London or Manchester or New York or wherever, uh, it, it's huge. Um, it tends to be hidden because that's the nature of, of the operation. Mm. But as I say, it's huge uh, and there is a whole infrastructure supporting it and, and the delivery has expanded the opportunity for dark kitchens. I, I think that's how I would look at it anyway. Mm. And, and But one thing I would say is that food manufacturing is one of the UK's largest manufacturing sectors and has been for 20 years. So when we think about, and, and in some ways dark kitchens kind of give light to a space, as you said, that's kind of happened behind closed doors. I mean, you came to visit our new site in... Um, in southeast london last week and um we're very much about like opening it up and inviting people in and creating this kind of ecosystem of food and drink and i think that we forget that food production has always been hidden it's so rare that you go to a restaurant and you watch the chefs cook your food or you go to a supermarket and you see where your sandwich was manufactured and i think we have this idea in our minds that dark kitchens are new because they're you know you're producing something far away from where it's being eaten. And then they go to a Sainsbury's local and they buy a salad, you know, and they're like, where was this made? And it was like behind the scenes in a factory somewhere. So, so are we going to see um, tours of dark kitchens for, for consumers to come and have a look, try the product, uh, and then go away and know exactly what it's all about? That's actually exactly what we're planning to do. So um, from 2027, we'll have EV charging points, ultra rapid charging points at all of our locations. And this year, we're starting to offer click and collect. So really, the goal is to become a food hub in every local area around the city um, where you can do things like charge your electric vehicle. You can order food, not just food to pick up and take away, but meal kits and products that you wouldn't be able to find in markets because they're really only being produced by specific producers in our kitchens um, and really bring people in from the local area so they can see what's going on. Our sites are very friendly, open places, and we want to invite as many people down as possible, not keep them away. Why are you guys different from the uh, food stars, Jukanas, cloud kitchens? And before you came on, I was doing some research on your company and yourself, and I see like the pink tiles piece. And but I'd really like to know of why you're different. But also, like I said, I live in the countryside. Is your plan to conquer the UK and have them in 
the main cities, between the cities, so more people can have all of these different fantastic things? <laughs> well, really, obviously, we don't produce the food ourselves. Yes. So um, we're really governed by where our clients want to be. Um, so if our clients want to be in a specific location and there are enough of them there and they feel that there's a dense enough network of people who want to buy those products, then, um, then yeah, we'll follow them, basically, and we'll build in the infrastructure for them. We're an infrastructure provider that touches all different parts of the food manufacturing process. Um, so I'd say the difference between us and maybe some of our competitors, everybody does things differently. Yes, some of, of our competitors focus heavily on delivery, um, and or almost exclusively about that last mile delivery, all of the brands that work with them are really focused on just that. Um, Karma Kitchen is a little different. We really focus on building infrastructure for all food and drink businesses um, and really providing a, a, a high quality space that can be used for any kind of production and manufacturing where people really want to come and work, where you can build a team successfully within our space and keep that team happy and engaged um, and really for the first time offer things that chefs may not have had before in the past like rest spaces, prayer rooms, garden spaces, um, communal areas, team events, that kind of thing and, and just making it a friendly, happy working environment. So from what you've just said, are you, um, let's think of one, WeWork. So you're a <laughs> WeWork for kitchen operators, which sounds fantastic. You've got everything, like you say, the prayer room, the garden space. Chefs could talk to each other, different brands, and um, someone who's producing meal kits can talk to a restauranteur. Um, is that the sort of thing you are hoping to be? I mean, the whole space is built around these central kind of communal areas where you have, um, where you've got, you know, seating and lo like glass windows that face in um, from every single kitchen. So everyone can see everyone, everyone can talk to everyone. They share the kitchenettes and the um, and the garden spaces. And then again, you know, the next layer down from that is really connecting up with the local community. So through the addition of charge points, um, through the addition of click and collect, bringing people from the local area into the kitchens to see what's going on, to learn about what we do and to engage with the products that are being made there. We really want to, we don't want to hide from the community. We want to be a part of it. We want to bring people in. Um, and I think um, I think that's, that's going to be really game-changing, not just for... Um, not just for us, but for the businesses that work with us and for the communities that we go into. We want people to wake up one morning and just feel delight at the fact that they've got a karma kitchen in their neighbourhood where all of these new products and services are available to them and they can go down in person, they can visit it, they can order it to their home in a much more hybrid way. Maybe, Peter, if we look at this, um, this hasn't changed, like Eki said, for lots and lots of years. When I, when I think back to when I was younger, the local church, the mosques, they're, they're cooking food for people in that local community, whereas this is exactly the same. They want to be part of that local community and they're offering that service out there it's when we look at it like that. It's certainly um, opening my eyes to a, a different way of, of looking at things fundamentally because... We've, we've grown up in a world where you have large companies with large factories making stuff yeah. and you've had restaurants cooking stuff on the high street. Uh, you've, you've had dark kitchens, but nobody's known about them. The local aspect 
hasn't appeared, certainly to me, to be an important consideration. Mm. Um, and yet that is, seems to be fundamental to what Eki is uh, suggesting. If I think about some of the businesses that we work with um, and have worked with us from the beginning of some of our sites, it's just they're just, it's such a diverse range of businesses doing such a diverse range of things. And the founders are often from the area where the kitchen is. So they might start with us taking... Um, Obviously, we work with a whole range of businesses. Some of them are enormous food producers and um, large-scale delivery companies. But we also reserve 5% of our workspace as affordable. So we've got um, a company that makes Puff Puff. Um, and that's a uh, they send it to parties and weddings and everything like that. Um, and they've produced in our, in our wood green kitchen um, right since we opened it in 2020. Uh, initially on just delivery. Um, but then when the pandemic ended and they were doing, they went back to doing more catering and events. And then we have a great brand in our Hackney site called Hot and Juicy Shrimp that are collection only. So kind of, as you said, their product, I think they don't really work with um, delivery brands, but people come to them and come and pick up the, um, it's basically seafood boil. Um, so amazing bags of like crab and um, prawns and everything and corn and um, it comes in a bag and basically people literally wait outside for their slot they use like an appointment system so you book your appointment come and collect your um, your seafood and then drive it back to your house yourself so you've got this whole range of different people and if you think about how engaged their client base is with their brand and our space and the space that, that this brand is producing in, you know, they're coming down every single week and the average basket size for the, for this brand, it's like 50 pounds a head, something like that. So, and they're not paying commission because it's appointment based and they're doing it direct to consumer. So you really have this whole range of businesses doing very different kind of niche, um, niche, not niche uh, businesses, but niche practices within those businesses of how the how people are going to end up consuming their products, um, and it's just it's interesting to see and 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 really dark kitchens facilitate that basically. Yeah, it it does seem amazing that uh, that it can create this huge choice. Mm. Tell me, when you started off in this business, is this was this your vision, or did you start off from somewhere completely different? <laughs> That's um. So we, uh, me and my sister founded Karma Kitchen together in 2018. That's when we opened our site in Hackney. And really Karma Kitchen was born from our other company, Karma Cans, which um, that was started in 2014. Um, so, um, yeah, we very, very much kind of bootstrapped the first company. It was, um, we started with five pounds, making one lunch for one person in one office. And now we make about a thousand meals a day to uh, corporate clients all over the city. So we make and deliver salads to people's offices. Um, and the growth journey of Karma Cans was extremely painful, partly because we had no money. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, there were these ups and downs. We, we struggled to get clients. But one thing that we really struggled with was kitchen space. It was so hard to find kitchen space. We were renting. I mean, credit to them for putting up with us at the time. But we were renting... Um, a nightclub kitchen in uh, in Soho for six, seven months until they kicked us out. And they were like, you guys are so irresponsible. You need to get out of here. <laughs> and we, we were terrible. We just didn't know very much at the time. So we ended up moving kitchens three times in a year. And we spent pretty much all of our money 
all of the accumulated money that we had saved um, on these kitchens. And what we really should have been investing in is a sales team, is marketing, is, um, you know, growing our kitchen team and becoming more resilient. We probably would have, you know, our growth trajectory would have been so much faster and steeper had we really invested early in things that would, you know, deliver returns to us instead of CapEx, which really depreciates over time. And so after that process, once we moved into our final warehouse, we ended up subletting that that space to other businesses uh, for a couple of years. And we thought, God, you know, if somebody else, if, if we don't do this, if we don't build kitchen space, somebody else is going to come in and do this instead. And really, we should be we should be building tailor-made kitchen space for other brands who need it businesses like Karma Cans, catering companies, and that's how it got going. It was all about these catering companies. So yeah, that was um that's kind of where the idea for Karma Karma Kitchen came from. What was really interesting when I've been listening to you today, Key, is I found this brand a while ago and they've got one site. So they're called White Men Can't Jerk. For me, they do amazing <laughs> chicken, okay? It's amazing their food. They're down at the Prince of Peckham. But they could come to you guys and they could in theory, just rent some space in North London, in West London. And actually, they could really grow that brand by doing that. And what you're saying is they don't need all this money to buy all these sites and start them. They, they can come and actually expand their business. That's definitely true. And, you know, exactly like that, a brand, White Men Can't Jerk, is, um, they've got a range of different food stalls at different mar- in different markets around London. And I think what's so interesting about them is that they have really good brand exposure in lots of different areas of London. They were on a rooftop in Dawson. They're the Prince of Peckham. Prince of Peckham. So they're all, they're, they already have um, market share in all these different neighbourhoods. So if they were to then open a supplementary kitchen there, um, you know, they already can, they already have a client base who would buy their product and have tried it before. And I think brand is really important when you're starting a virtual restaurant. People want to recognize, you know, there's a number of ways to attract clients, you know, to get people to order your food right off the bat. Price is important. Brand is important. The pictures of your food are important. You might have slightly less touch points um, to win people, but the risk level is lower. Like if you have, um, if you order from someone and then, you know, the chips are soggy, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, that's fine. You only spent a little bit of money on that. You didn't waste a whole night, you know, still in your house. If you went out for a dinner um, to a restaurant, you've committed your entire night to that. You know, the stakes are much, much higher. You know, I think that... Yeah, what I I agree with what you said right at the beginning is it's a different space. So, and I have learned that from today, Peter. I don't know about yourself where... Very much so. Actually... We're we're talking about something that is (laughs) much more vibrant, uh, much more... And I don't want to be um, uh, too uh, downplaying this, but it's it's smaller scale... Yes. ...than it might give the impression. Yeah. And I think, that's, I think that's hugely important. And I think the, the local aspect is also important. And like you say, it fits in a space. It fits in that it can be somebody's date night. It can be a lunch. It can be a Wednesday night. Whereas if people want the real experience, and I'm going to talk about Dishoom here, when everyone's been to Dishoom, and it's not about just the food. It's about going to the restaurants, the smell when you walk in, when the um, staff serve you, they're so attentive. The food's always quality. So it's that whole, let's call it an old Saturday night experience, whereas actually... 
you can wake up now and you can get uh, bacon and eggnog through a delivery kitchen because they're doing that as well. So they've learned. But that's it, don't you think that that's so smart that you've got you've got the restaurant. Your your brand experience is founded in the restaurant, right? Yes. That's why you probably ordered the delivery. But it's also why you would buy the cookbook or the merch. You know, it's like these are the range of... For the big brands, it's about creating multiple touch points with... Um, it's about creating multiple touch points with a consumer. So you've come to London, you, you've been to Dishoom. Maybe you'll order a meal kit from Dishoom or the cookbook or you'll get a delivery product um, or you'll buy a T-shirt and it's about this wide-ranging connection with each individual customer that stretches out further than the reach of their actual physical restaurant. You don't have to stand in the queue at Dishum to experience what it's like to eat Dishum or be a part of the, the brand of Dishum. And, you know, Leon's done this really well. There are so many brands that do this really, really successfully. Wagamama's one of them too. Um, but for the smaller brands, it is about reaching their audience for the first time in an affordable way for them and really connecting up directly with this hyper-local uh, group of consumers who may have never experienced their products before and have taken a real risk on them and then just realise that they're their new local favourite. And you get you. I think what's so great about Dark Kitchens is it allows both. It allows both the dishrooms of the world to connect up with local um consumers who've been to the restaurants and it also lets these local champion brands develop and flourish in a very active way and then spread out we had a brand um who started on with food stands um they make gyros greek gyros athenian and um during the pandemic they had just before the pandemic they probably had maybe a couple of food stands food trucks that went to like leather lane and a few different markets pandemic happened they opened 16 new sites in a year it's just incredible and Dark kitchens were the infrastructure tool that they used to do that. It's not going to define whether the business is successful or not, but it is a tool in the arsenal to allow businesses to spread their wings and really capture more market share if, if they want to. I think that's a fantastic point to uh, end our conversation today. <laughs> we can, I'm sure we can carry on this for hours yet, but uh, maybe we'll invite Eki back again. Yeah. Definitely. It'd be great to visit one of your sites, Eki. I'd love to come in there and charge my car up. Oh, my gosh, And yeah. have a look around. Because it sounds fantastic. Again, Peter, it's opened my eyes to this. It yeah. really, really has. So um, we, we've discussed a lot. I think uh, hopefully we can pick it up again on another occasion. But uh, a big thank you to Eki for taking time out today from your very busy schedule. I know it's busy. Uh, so all the very best, Eki. Thank you so uh, much. You're welcome. Uh, and here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. Tune in to the next edition of the Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews, and analysis that's going to keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry. So, goodbye from today's Delivery Profits. That's Eki and John and me. Thank you so goodbye. much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.